Praise God. I feel like the spirit, we're high in spirit right now. God has blessed us with brothers and sisters from the other side of the world. Praise God for that. Um, thank God for what he's doing. And let's go higher in the Lord today. Let's go to his word. Let's ask him to speak to our hearts, to speak to the situations we may be dealing with. Um, let's pray that he brings us closer to himself, that we see more of God when we study the scripture and fall more in love with him. So let's let that be our prayer. And I ask that you pray for me, um, that I preach it accurately, truly, not in myself, but that God's word is presented truly, clearly, and with power. So let us go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dig into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we stand before you, Lord. We pick up your scripture, your word, God. We want to handle it carefully. God, we pray that you use this scripture as I just alluded to, Lord, that you use the scripture to bring us closer to you, Lord, that we get a better understanding that our vision gets more clear of who you are, God, the bigness of who you are, God, your love, your mercy, your sacrifice, God. May we appreciate the gospel more. Lord, may, may we appreciate your plan of salvation, Jesus, your son. Lord, just illuminate your text, Lord God. Help us to see your glory in this book of Jonah. We thank you for what you're doing, God. Help me to teach your word truly and accurately. It's our prayer in your son's name. Amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. So we're going to pick back up in the book of Jonah. Back up in Jonah. If you recall, the last time I was up here, we pretty much finished chapter one. Remember, it led up to Jonah being thrown overboard into the into the water, into the raging sea. And so we're going to pick up today. We're going to read all of chapter two. It's pretty short. It's Jonah's prayer. We're also going to look at verse 17 in chapter one, since we didn't uh, get to that verse the last time I was up here. So we'll look at 17 in chapter 1 and all of chapter 2. And Fernando, I know you like titles. Um, if I had to title this, I would title it Remember with a colon, A Prayer of Thanksgiving for God's Deliverance. A Prayer of Thanksgiving for God's Deliverance. It's essentially our what we're looking at today. We're looking at Jonah's prayer. We're looking at his prayer inside of the fish or if you like the well. Let's see what he, we can glean from Jonah, what we can see about God and what we can see about ourselves in this text. And before we get into the, the text, I, uh, I kind of just want to, the reason I brought out Deuteronomy 7 today, or today, I mentioned it was because of that word remember how God Often throughout the Old Testament, he'll often bring up to the children of Israel what he has already done for them. So he'll, he'll often bring up Egypt. I am the one who delivered you from Pharaoh, from Egypt. I am the one who parted the Red Sea. And he would often tell this to Israel, especially in the book of Isaiah. He would tell this to them when they were going astray, when they were tempted to go to these other gods, these false idols. He would remind them, I am the one, the reason why you have success. I am the one that you, I am the reason why you prosper. I, I'm the reason why you have what you have. It is because of me. And so God throughout the Old Testament or the Tanakh, he would often remind Israel of what he's already done. Why? Because we as humans in our fallen nature, we sometimes forget, right? God can bring us out of something major and 
the next day we're over here worried, even though he just brought us out last week, we can easily forget. We've seen Israel forget in the scriptures. You also see it in the Psalms where the psalmist is always rehearsing God's goodness, God's deliverance, something that God has done. For example, in Psalms 34, 4, the Psalms, the psalmist says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Again, he's rehearsing his trial and how God brought him out. He's remembering what God has done for him. He remember the situation that he was in and how God has brought him out. And so you find that oftentimes in the Psalms. Another place is Psalms 30, verse 2, where the psalmist says, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Again, the psalmist is remembering his trial. Remember how he cried out to the Lord and God brought him through. So he's remembering or in revelation, revelations five, nine. I love this part where you have the 24 elders, right? You have the 24 elders and you have the four creatures and they, the, the whole host of heaven is sad because there's a book in the Lord's hand with the seven seals and nobody's worthy to open the seven seals. And do you remember what happens when the lamb comes and, and grabs the book and he's worthy to open the seven seals? You find that those same elders and, and heavenly creatures, they said this. The text said that they begin to sing a new song, that they begin to say this. They said, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth forever. The reason I bring this out is because those heavenly creatures and the 24 elders, they wrote a song off of what God just did for them. They couldn't open the scroll of the book, but the lamb could. And that that deliverance, that thing that the lamb could do that they couldn't do caused them to write a song. And that song is probably a song that we will all sing for eternity, a song to remember God's goodness, to remember what God has done. So remembering the goodness of God, remembering the deliverance of God. It is so vital to your Christian walk because as we know, this world, this life gets tough and we have to go back. As we see in the scriptures where people are looking back at God's deliverance to get them through the future. So remembrance, remembrance. Now just a little, a quick overview of what we looked at last time we were here in Jonah chapter one. We looked at how God's mercy in chapter one continued to to follow Jonah despite Jonah's disobedience. We've seen that that mercy still followed Jonah. We also seen how God used the storm to stop Jonah as well as you and I from reaching Tarshish, that place so far out of God's will, the opposite out of God's will. We also looked at how sin can have a ripple effect, um, how we may sin alone, but the whole community feels the effects of sin. And so we, we looked at that. And we also looked at how the, the true God always stands out, especially to the elect, how even in a religious pluralistic society, how the true and living God will stand out. And so we can be encouraged by that in our evangelism. We also looked at the connection between Jesus, between Jonah being thrown overboard and Jesus willingly entering into the wrath of God and how Jesus entering into that storm caused the wrath of God to subside. And now there was now peace between man and God, just like when Jonah was thrown into the water, there was now peace in the ocean. The sailors didn't have to worry about dying anymore. Why? Because Jonah had gone in the water. And so we looked at how Jesus or how Jonah was a type of Christ. He was a, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. 
And now we find ourselves in chapter 2 and verse 17, since we're going to hit that as well. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to read the text and then come back and dig into it. So I'm going to start in 17. I'm going to go through chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, 17 first, and we're going down. We're coming out the NASB. And the word of the Lord reads, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the current engulfed me and all your breakers and billows, they passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Ten, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up into the dry land. Amen. So here in Jonah chapter two, we find Jonah in the belly of the fish, right? Or the belly of the whale. And we also have seen how despite Jonah's disobedience to fight him, despite him defying the commandments of God, God's uh, mercy continues to pursue Jonah for his purposes, God looks past Jonah's little temper tantrums. When I, when I read Jonah, I just imagine Jonah like a little kid saying, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going to Nineveh. And God says, yes, you are going to Nineveh. <laughs> yes, you are going to Nineveh, Jonah. Because Jonah is not about you, Jonah. Jonah is bigger than you. And not only was the mission, not, not only was the mission bigger than Jonah, the mission was also even bigger than the Ninevites that Jonah was going to preach to. See, while in the immediate con historical context, the Ninevites in the Assyrian capital, they were the intended target of God's mercy. That's why God is sending Jonah. He's sending them to the Assyrians, the Ninevites. But ultimately, even the Ninevites, Jonah and all of Jonah's life, all of the story of Jonah, it was intended to be a sign that points to God's grace and mercy to the world through his son, Jesus Christ. All of Jonah's life was intended to point to Jesus. The mission that he was doing was intended to point to Jesus, what he would come to do. Why do I say that or how do I say that? Matthew 12, we looked at it before, but let's go there again. Matthew chapter 12, you'll see why I say that all of Jonah's life, the Ninevites were to point to Jesus. We looked at this before, but we'll look again. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 40. Remember, this is where Jesus, he's with some of the scribes and the Pharisees and, and they're, they're, they're talking with Jesus and they want to see 
a sign. They want to see a sign. They're asking Jesus for a sign. They want to, they want Jesus to prove that he's somebody special, prove that you're the Messiah. Show us a sign. And what you must understand culturally, this was a part of the Jewish culture. Signs were not totally out of the ordinary. It was something that they would often ask a person. You go back to the Old Testament or the Tanakh in Isaiah chapter nine, you look at King Ahaz. And you remember when King Ahaz, he was given a sign that his enemies would be defeated. Who was that? That was the birth of that, uh, of the child born to the virgin. That was a sign that God was going to keep his promise to him and defeat his enemies. You can also go to second Kings chapter 20 verse nine to 11 with Hezekiah. Do you remember when Hezekiah was on his deathbed? He's about to die and God extend Hezekiah's life by 15 years and, and, and he gives Hezekiah a sign on the stairwell with a, with a shadow of the stair. Um, it, it would recede basically. And that was the sign that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. It was a promise. So signs were part of the Jewish culture. You even look at first Corinthians. Do you remember Paul when he's writing to the Corinthians in first Corinthians one he says that the Jews ask for a sign. Do you remember that? And he says that the Greeks seek wisdom. He's summarizing both cultures up. He's saying for the, for the Greeks, the thing that they seek after is wisdom. But for the Jews, Paul was saying the thing that they seek after was a sign, a sign of something. So signs and, and wonders, if you will, they were a part of that culture. So it's not out of the ordinary that these scribes and Pharisees are asking Jesus, show us a sign. And even though Jesus had already shown shown many different signs, he's already demonstrated his power. They still wanted to see more. But Jesus says in his text, you're not getting a sign. You want a sign? You're not getting a sign. He says, the only sign that you will get is this. Verse 40, 39, he says, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it. But the sign, here we go of Jonah the prophet for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster so will a son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold something greater than Jonah is here So he says, you're not getting a sign, scribes and Pharisees. The only sign that you will get is the sign of Jonah. (coughs) And so basically what he's saying is that the the three days that Jonah spent in the heart of the sea monster, he says, or, or the fish, they correspond to Jesus's death. See, so, so as, G, as Jonah would spend three days in the belly of the fish and three nights in the belly of the fish, he says, so too would Jesus spend three days, what, dead in the grave. And just like Jonah, after being in the, in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, would be spit out to go and carry out the mission to the Ninevites, to the Assyrian capital, so would Jesus resurrect from the grave and guess what through his disciples go and warn and preach repentance and preach the gospel to the nations just like Jonah would do see all of Jonah's life the story of Jonah the Ninevites they were a sign they were to point to something greater see all of Jonah's life guess what in all of my life and all of your life guess what we are just background players We're the background players. We are the supporting actors, if you will, in God's movie. We are not the star. 
Jesus is the star. See, the movie of life is not about us. Life is not about what we want to do and our aspirations and our, and our dreams and our family. But this life, the point of the movie is God and his glory and how he will glorify his son, Jesus. All of life points to that. But we forget that in our life. We forget that. We may even get frustrated with the Lord at times when things don't go our way. We're wondering, God, I wanted it this way. Why didn't this happen? We have to remember that we are not the stars of the movie. The movie is not about us. We we can't get so frustrated and wonder why things that are going the way we want. Why we are not the stars of the movie. We are not the ones. God is. It's all about God. Guess what? He is writing the script. He is directing the movie. He determines that God himself, that his son, they are the stars. So he is working all things to point to that. I think about the movie Rocky. I'm sure that some of us all seen the movie Rocky, right? Remember Rocky? Remember Rocky had a wife named what? Adrian, right? You had Adrian, right? Tell me this. What if Adrian complained and said, I'm not in enough scenes. I need to, we need to rewrite this movie and have me in more scenes and, and let this movie be more about me. We would say, Adrian, the movie is called Rocky. <laughs> you are not the main character. It's not about you. Now we, we laugh at that, but guess what? That's what we do when we're grumbling and complaining to God why things are not going the way we want. We got to forget that the movie, we are not the star. God is the star, the, the Bible, the book, the whole, this whole book is about God. It's not about what I could get or what I could do, but it's about the glory of God. It points to who he is, his, his nature, his character. See, God is the focal point. He's the star. We don't want to be the Adrians. Another good example, just from the scriptures of that is in John chapter nine. Do you remember John chapter nine? There was a man born blind. And there was a man born blind, and so his disciples are coming up to Jesus. And this is John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, if you want it for your notes. He's, it's just this blind man, and, and the disciples see him, and they're walking with Jesus, and they're going up to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, who sinned that this man would be born blind? They say, was it this man, or was it his parent? Because it was a thought that if you're born blind, somebody must have sinned. And so, whose fault is it, Jesus? Was this man's fault, or, or is this his parents' fault? And Jesus says, it's neither. He said that this man is born blind so that the works of God might be displayed on him, meaning so that Jesus could ultimately heal him and people come to faith and that we here in 2019 would read of it and glorify God behind it. That was the purpose. But you got to think about it from that man's perspective. That is a grown man who has spent his whole life blind. But God allowed him to spend his whole life blind for the glory of God so that the Messiah would come and heal him. Do you see how all things are working for God and his purpose? Even this man's blindness was allowed so that God would receive glory. See, Jonah, while he's in the belly of the fish, he's sitting there and he's not even knowing that what he is doing is pointing to Jesus. He, he didn't even understand that God is showing his supreme wisdom by having a Messiah come and sacrifice his life and allow us to be made right with God. Jonah doesn't even understand what's happening here. In this mind, Jonah's probably saying, hey, it's because of my sin that got me in this place, which is true. But as we discussed last week, God uses his permissive will and his sovereign will to 
accomplish his intended purposes. Remember, God's permissive will is that which he allows us to do, right? God doesn't want us to sin, but we do sin and he allows it to go forward. That's God's permissive will. But God uses his permissive will and he uses his sovereign will to accomplish his purpose. And that intended purpose for Jonah was to go into the belly of that fish and to come out and go and preach to the Ninevites. Now, some of us struggle, maybe not so much here, but many people struggle with Jonah being in the belly of a fish. They said, that's just hard to believe. But as I always say, if God can create a universe from nothing, ex nihilo, if he can create a universe from nothing, then guess what God can do? He can go and manipulate the laws of nature to create a fish that is big enough to swallow the man. And I even take it a step further. I say, I even think about the fish, how God even watched that fish. He allowed that fish to grow older. He allowed that fish, guess what, to catch all of his prey and, and all of that so he can get big enough to go accomplish God's purpose. So God was even sovereign over the fish. I can imagine him and his fish buddies. It's like, man, how come you always catching all the prey? Because, <laughs> because God, see, God was doing something there. He was doing that to bring this fish to accomplish his purpose. I always jokingly say it's God one-on-one that he got to be able to create and manipulate the laws of nature to accomplish his purpose. Now, while Jonah's in the belly, Jonah's in the belly of the fish, let's get back to Jonah. While he's there in the, in the belly of a fish, a miraculous thing happens. It's in chapter two, while he's there in the belly of the fish, a miraculous thing happens. And that is that Jonah goes from disobedient prophet to poet. He, he goes from disobedient prophet to psalm writer, to writing a psalm of thanksgiving. And the reason I say that is because this prayer that we read in Jonah is written in the literary style of a psalms of thanksgiving. For example, when you, you look at verse 2, verse 2 in Jonah's prayer, in verse 2, it starts off with the writer Jonah um, praising God for his deliverance. You often see that in the psalms. They start off praising God. And then in verse three through six, you find the writer recounting the trial or the crisis that they just went through. So that's what you find in verses three through six. Jonah's now going back and he's recounting the trial that he just went through. And then in verse seven, the, the writer or Jonah, he describes God's deliverance. Just what you see in the Psalms. And then the, the Psalm or the prayer ends with the writer praising God and making a vow. And you find that in, in verses eight through nine. And I just want to show you an example of that. Um, I want to read to you Psalms 18, verse 3 to 6, and you'll, you'll see what I mean when I say that Jonah's right in the literary cell of a psalmist, of the psalmist. In Psalms 18, verse 3 to 6, look at what the psalmist says. He says, I called upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And then he says in verse 4, now he's going to recount different trials, what he's going through. The cords of death encompass me. And the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. And then he calls out to the Lord. In my distress, I call upon the Lord and cry to my God for help. And guess what happens? He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. You see those different sections here. The writer's praising God. 
He goes and recounts his trial, what he's gone through. He goes and cries out to the Lord for deliverance. Now the Lord delivers him. You'll find that same literary style written all throughout the Psalms. And often those Psalms end with prayer and worship. So that's what we find here Jonah doing in the belly of a fish. He's gone from this disobedient prophet to now he's being poetic. Now he's writing this, this love prayer unto the Lord for his deliverance. That's pretty fast, right? You go from one moment disobedient, you're running from God, and, and now you are a psalm writer. Why? How did that happen? See, that's what the grace and mercy of God can do in your life. The grace and mercy of God can put a new song in your life. The, the grace and mercy of God, it will change the way you act. It will change the way you think. Think about the people on the ship. Remember the, the, the people on the ship, the mariners, they, they went from worshiping these false gods early on in chapter one to we find later in verse 14 where they're down there crying out to the Lord. God brings them through. He calms the storm. He shows them grace and mercy. And what do we find them doing later? Praising God. Why? Because they have in, uh, experienced, because they have encountered the grace and mercy of the Lord. They are now ch- uh, praising God. That, that shows you the power of God's grace and mercy upon a person's life. When they've really encountered it, when they've encountered, to, encountered the living Lord, it begins to bring about a change in their life. And so we see those people that are on the ship, they are praising God. Another example is our brother Anthony V. He's not here, but I think about him. That brother went from writing songs that glorify sin to songs that glorify God. Why? Because God put a new song in his mouth. God put a new spirit in his mouth. That grace and mercy he encountered it. And because of that, that changed what he wrote about. That changed what he thought about. See, that is what grace and mercy can do in your life. See, some of us, we grew up going into bars and to clubs, but now again, you are here on Sunday praising God. Why? Because that's what grace and mercy in your life will do. It will change your mind. It will change your mindset to where now you want to do the things of God. And that's what we see there with Jonah. Grace and mercy. It'll change your life. When you, when you thought it was over, when you, when you thought that you were done, when you thought there was no way out of the situation, when you didn't see anything good coming to happen from the situation, when there was no man or woman to help you in your situation and God shows up. And that's the old church mother say, when God shows up, he shows up. When that happened, that grace and mercy changes you. When a person truly experiences the grace and mercy of God, when they truly experience the gospel, it does something in your life. And so Jonah's now offering up this prayer in the belly of the fish. Now think about that. Jonah is offering up praise and worship in the belly of a fish. Some of us in here don't like sushi, right? <laughs> this is sushi like times 10, right? You're in the belly of a fish. <laughs> but yet... But yet Jonah is there praising God. Yet Jonah's circumstances, his surroundings, understand this, Jonah's in the belly of a fish. His surroundings don't look good. He's surrounded by guts and, and whatever. That is what's surrounding Jonah. But even though he is in a mess, what is Jonah doing there? He's praising God despite the mess, the circumstance that he's in. He's praising God. Why? 
He's praising God because he realizes that something else much worse could have happened. Death, eternal separation from God, forever separated from the Lord. See, in verse 3, I want you to see this. Look in verse 3 what Jonah says. In the first part of verse 3, Jonah says this. He says, for you have cast me into the deep. Now, I want you to skip to verse 4. He said, God, you have thrown me into the deep. Even though the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him to the boat, he understands that God is sovereign. He said, God, you have thrown me into the sea. But then he says in verse 4, so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Meaning that Jonah thought life was over when he was thrown in the boat. I mean, in the sea. He thought life was over. He thought he was about to die. He says, I am expelled from your sight. Meaning, I'm not, I'm no longer in your eyes. You don't even see me. I am separated from you. I'm gone from your sight. See, Jonah, he thought that it was over. If you recall in chapter one, remember Jonah was running from the presence of God at one point. Remember that he did not want God around. But now being thrown overboard into the raging sea, when it seems like God's mercy and grace has run out, now he wants God's presence. He says, I'm expelled from you. Now he's having a little remorse. When I, when I, when I read that verse, it makes me think about the atheists in our world. See, there are many atheists right now that are experiencing God's common grace. And what I mean by that is they're experiencing food, they're experiencing health, they're experiencing rain and and, and sunlight and laughter. Even though they deny God, God still allows them to go about their day. But guess what? On the day of judgment, common grace will run out. There will be no more common grace. And that person that they have denied and didn't want at all for the rest of their life, they will actually get their wish And they will probably be like Jonah saying, I'm expelled from your sight. Wondering, man, I I wish I had the Lord. So Jonah is recounting about his situation. He He's realized God has thrown him over the boat. He realized that he's expelled from God's sight. He's in a bad circumstances in his prayer. He's, He's in the belly of the well. But again, Jonah does not allow his physical circumstances to stop the praise coming out of his mouth. He doesn't allow the bad around him. See, have you, have you ever wondered, my brothers and sisters, how the brother or sister in a third world country, how they can have so much joy in their life, how they can be smiling, even though they don't have the modern amenities that we have, even though they don't have the clean drinking water, even though they don't have the multiple pairs of shoes and clothes. Do you you ever wonder why they're not destroyed just by their physical surroundings in the community? Why? Because many of them recognize the alternative. They recognize that things could be much worse. They they remember that they were dead in their sins. They, they remember that they were on a highway to hell, that they were held in bondage by the devil's chains. They, they remember where they were. And they remember how the salvation of the Lord has come to them and rescued them. And so therefore they can still have praise in their mouth, even though all things around them don't look good. They look to their salvation. They look to where God has delivered them from. And they use that to rejoice in praise as opposed to looking on the circumstances, just like Jonah. So I have to ask you, my brothers and sisters. Yes, things are not 
may be going the way that you want. Yes, things may not be great, but have you considered the alternative? Do you remember who you used to be? Do you remember what you were enslaved to? Do you know what you could still be doing now if you were still in an old way of mind, that old way of thinking, those old habits? But God has saved you to the grace of the gospel. So even when circumstances get bad, we got to go back and cling to our salvation, knowing that we are saved, knowing that we are redeemed people, knowing that we are now sons and daughters of God. We have to cling to our salvation. Even when we're in the belly of a fish, even when the circumstances don't look that great. Jonah still breaks out the praise and worship for the Lord. Now, here's one of the things that I want you to notice. Before Jonah gets his, his his breakthrough, in the same verse in verse four, when he says that I am expelled from your sight, in that same verse, in that same breath, I want to show you what Jonah also said. This is very important to note. After saying I am expelled from your sight, in verse four, look what he said in the next part. He says, nevertheless. Even though I'm expelled for your sight, feeling like I'm cast off, you no, you don't see me, I'm separated from you. He says, nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Nevertheless, he says, I will look again towards your holy temple. What Jonah is doing here, even though he says, I am cast off, even though the situation is bad, Jonah is making a last ditch effort of prayer to God, hoping that he saves him from the situation, saves him from the drownings. That's why he says, nevertheless, I will look again from your holy temple. Even though I have sinned, I'm separated from you. I'm drowning in this water. I'm going to give out one last cry, one last prayer in hope that God will save me. So he says, nevertheless, I will look towards your holy temple. And so he said, how are you saying all that from that one verse, Jerome? I will look towards your holy temple. You have to go back to first Kings, first Kings chapter eight. Do you remember when Solomon was making a dedication to the temple? When he was making a dedication to the temple, he was encouraging the people saying to pray towards the temple. Or you, you will find in the scripture, for example, in Daniel chapter six, when, when he is praying, it says that he has his window open towards Jerusalem and he's down praying. See, saying that you're going to pray to or look towards the temple is a way of saying, I'm going to pray to God. Cause that is, that was God's house on earth, Jerusalem. It was a temple. So when you say, when Jonah is saying, nevertheless, I'm going to look towards your temple. He said, nevertheless, even though I'm expelled, even though I messed up, even though I was disobedient and I'm drowning down in this water and I need your help, I'm still going to cry out to the Lord. I'm still going to cry out to his mercy for salvation and deliverance. So Jonah, what Jonah does is even though things look really bad, even though his human reasoning says nobody can save me in the middle of this ocean, even though things look impossible, Jonah hopes against hope that God has the power to deliver. And that is what Jonah does. And brothers and sisters, you and I need to take a page out of Jonah's book. Even when things look bad, even when it looks impossible, even when we get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, we have to hope against hope and cry out to the Lord, knowing that God is able to deliver despite the circumstances. And we see that God hears that prayer 
and verse 3 as we skip down to verse 7. Let's just skip down to verse 7 real quick. I just want to show you this. We see what happens when Jonah makes that last-ditch effort in prayer towards the temple of God. Look at verse 7. It says, while I was fainting away, remember he's dying, he's in a water, he's going to drown, he has no one to rescue. He says, when I was fainting away, again, I remembered the Lord. And look what he says. And my prayer, remember that prayer, came to you into where your holy temple. Just like in verse 3 where he's looking towards the temple, making that last ditch effort to pray towards God, even though it looks dire. He's saying that my prayer came to you in your holy temple. So God still hears Jonah. Even though Jonah has been disobedient, even though Jonah has thrown his temper tantrums, even though Jonah is going to do what Jonah wants to do, God still hears this little old sinner man, Jonah, this little old sinner man who's intentionally disobeying him, this, this little old sinner man who does not want to go to the Assyrians and tell them of God's wrath to come. That same little old sinner man, God heard. See, this verse is like that. That gives me the gumption to go into the homeless shelters and go into the prison saying, I don't care what you have done. I don't care if you were high and drunk last night. My question is, what are you saying with your mouth today? Are you repenting and turning from your sins today? Because if God heard Jonah's cry, that disobedient man running from him, if he heard his cry, then God will hear the cry of a sincere, repentant heart that looks to Jesus. See, I can go to those places. You can go to those places no matter what people has done, knowing that God will hear the heart of the contrite of a person with a sincere heart. See, sometimes we can think the devil can trick us into believing that because of our sins, we are too far gone. And I can't offer up a prayer. I can't throw out anything to God. But you must understand. No, my brothers and sisters, you are not too far from God's mercy. We see that God heard Jonah in his brokenness and his disobedient. He heard Jonah. So that tells me again, I could go to the urban area. I can go to the hood if you want. I can go to the streets with that guy who has the gun in his waist and tell him, no, brother, I don't care what you've done. You are not too far away from God's mercy, meaning that I can now go to the woman who's selling her body on the street and tell her, no, sister, you are not too far from God's mercy. I can go to that husband who has cheated on his wife or that wife who has cheated on her husband and tell him, no, with a repentant heart, with a sincere heart of repentance to God, you are not far from God's grace and mercy. Just look at Jonah. Just look at the salvation that came to Jonah, the disobedient Jonah, the prophet. We're not too far, brothers and sisters. We see the grace and mercy of God through this disobedient prophet. Now, I want to back you up here in Jonah to verse 5. I, I, I want to describe to you the events prior to Jonah being swallowed up by the fish because I think it's just very it's it's just, whoa, amazing what God does. We see in it. So let's back up a little bit to verse 5 and 6. I know we had looked at 7, but I want to back up here. And in five, verse 5 and 6, what you're going to get is a little description of someone almost drowning to death. That's what verse 5 and 6 is. It is a literal description of the horrors of almost drowning to death. Look what Jonah says here. So remember, they threw him over the boat. He's in the water. 
He says, the water can pass me to the point of death. So you got to ma- just try to imagine you're thrown in the sea and now you got all of this water. It was a storm. It's cold. You got all of this water around you. He says, water has encom- encompassed me to the point of death. And then he says, the great deep engulfed me. So now he's under the water. He's engulfed by the water. And here's the part right here. He says, the weeds were wrapped around my head. So can you imagine he's in the ocean and the seaweed is wrapped all around his body? Like you may see in a Hollywood movie where a person is just wrapped up like a moment. So you got seaweeds wrapped all on his body. He's, he's sinking. He says, and I descend to the root of the mountain. Meaning he's going to the, the bottom of the ocean. Remember, mountains proceed up. They come out of the water. So he's going down to the bottom of the ocean. You're at the bottom of the ocean. You got weeds wrapped all around you. You can't move. You're, you're screaming. You're, you can't breathe. This is what Jonas described. And he said, the earth was its bars was around me forever with its bars. But then he says, but you have brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord. My God. So he's drowning. Seaweed wrapped all around his body at the base of the mountain, the bottom of the sea's floor. But then Jonah says, but you have brought up my life from the pit. So in the midst of Jonah drowning, stuff wrapped around him, he's crying out, making that last-ditch effort, crying out to the Lord's God, looking towards his temple, saying, God, hear my prayer, asking for help. And what does God do? God sends a fish, an unlikely hero. He allows the fish to be the tool of his salvation for Jonah. God could have sent an angel to dive in, right, to go and save Jonah, he, he, he could have made the water just recede and where he, he could have just walked out of the sea. He could have maybe called the mariners to go down and try to catch him, the people who were on the boat. But no, God doesn't do that. As opposed to doing that, he sends a fish to be the tool of God's mercy. See, that fish was God's grace to Jonah. You, you got to think about this. You're Jonah. You're going to the bottom of the ocean with stuff wrapped all around you. And all of a sudden, you see this huge fish, just imagine this, coming towards you with his mouth open. You're probably like, I'm about to get eaten by a fish, right? You close your eyes, and next thing you know, whoa, you're still awake, but you're in the belly of a fish, but you're you're still awake. The point I want you to see is that grace and mercy does not always look how we think that is going to look. It may look different. It may look different on the outside. See, that was grace and mercy coming to Jonah. On the outside, it looked like it was coming to destroy him. On the outside, it looked like he was coming to be eaten by a fish. But no, even though it looked bad, it was God's grace and mercy coming towards Jonah. So that means that then I have to step back. And reanalyze my understanding of God's grace and mercy since God's grace and mercy can come in the form of a fish. That means that maybe me losing my job was God's grace and mercy towards me. See, that looked bad on the outside, but that was God's grace and mercy on the inside. Or, or maybe you not getting that job was God's grace and mercy towards you. Single people. Maybe losing that guy or girl that you were dating was God's grace and mercy towards you because 
he would have done you wrong. See, maybe losing that home or losing that cherished possession, that thing that you idolize, maybe that was God's grace and mercy towards you, even though it looked bad on the outside. It was actually grace in the inside. So God's grace and mercy may look different, brothers and sisters. So I want to tell you to examine your life. Has grace and mercy always looked pretty on the outside? Or did it come in other forms? Forms that made you say, this can't be God. Or, or where is God? I don't feel like God's grace and mercy is here. But now I'm sure when we step back, we say, whoa, that was God's grace and mercy towards me. So God heard Jonah's prayer. He rescued him from death. And so Jonah goes and he concludes that prayer with worship. He concludes that prayer, God's deliverance with worship. Now, I'm not a fan of the NASB's translation of verse 8 where he begins to go into his worship. But um, the way it reads, I I like the um, English translation, how it reads verse 8 in Jonah. The English trans, or the NASB reads this way. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. But I like how the English version translates the first part in verse eight. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love or the NLT. Those who worship false gods, I like this trend. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercy. See, the word that my version translates faithfulness is the Greek word. I'm sorry, not Greek word, Hebrew word, kesed. And that means it's often translated as mercy or, or, or love. And so, so what Jonah is probably doing here, this is just my, I can't tell you. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but when, when Jonah's writing this last portion or he's reciting this last part of the prayer, he's likely reflecting on um, the events of chapter one, the events of chapter one. When when the storm was raging, for example, when the storm was raging, you had the mariners, the people in the boat, they were calling out to their vain idols. Right. But their vain idols could do nothing for them. Right. They, they cried out to their God. Their gods could do nothing for them. Their gods couldn't display mercy. They couldn't even receive God's mercy. And so Jonah is saying that those who regard vain idols, you're actually relinquishing God's mercy as you do that. As you look to other things to be your salvation, to be your rock, you're actually giving up God's mercy and grace in return. And so he's saying that is not something that I will do. I'm not going to give up God's mercy for the sake of going to a false idol, but I am going to look to the God of my salvation, the God of the Hebrews, he would say. See, this is one of the things we have to really wrestle with or look at in our own life. Like the children of Israel, for example, we are often tempted by the idols of the culture. Right, we're, we're tempted by the idols of the culture. They're all around them, whether it's science and us looking to that to solve all of life's problems or whether it's modern medicine and us looking to that to solve all of life's problems. Or if we're looking to education or we're looking to a brand of government or we're looking to a political ideology or, or a better uh, education system, justice system, all of these things. Guess what? This is what the culture looks to for salvation. This is what the culture looks to to deliver them. But we are not like the culture. That's why Jonah says, but I will sacrifice. 
to the God. I will give my voice of thanksgiving to the true and living Lord. So we have to watch that, my brothers and sisters. Like Jonah's pointing out, we cannot fall prey to the idols of the culture, the things that society worships. We have to understand that if we seek those things, because the people in our culture, they believe that if we just get more liberals in Congress, or if we get more conservatives in, in the Senate, or if we just get a, a better education system, or if we just get better housing, that will solve the problem. See, they're putting their faith in this false idol and not in the true and living God. But Jonah says, I will not do that. I will offer up my sacrifice to you, God, and I will make the vow to you, Lord. Why? Because it is the true and living Lord that has saved his soul from drowning to death. And it's the true and living God that has saved your soul from the place of hell. It's not a political system. It is not ideology. It's not education. It's not the things that the world espouses. We must remember it is the God of the scripture. It's the God of the Bible. It's Jesus Christ. This is who we look to. This is who we make our sacrifice of our life to. This is who we pay our vows to follow him all the days of our life. Salvation truly is from the Lord. And that is how Jonah ends his prayer. That is how he ends it. He starts it by praising God for his deliverance. He goes and he recounts the trials and the crisis that he was just in. He then recounts God's deliverance from that crisis, and he ends the prayer with a worship, with a vow, with a sacrifice, he says, unto God. Brothers and sisters, let's take a page out of Jonah's book, and let's do what he does. You don't got to write a psalm for any everybody to see, but just for your own remembrance, just for you in those tough times where you can be like Jonah, you can go and remember, ah, God, you brought me out of this before. Go, look at your life, examine it. Examine the times where you thought it was over, where you thought you were drowning, where you didn't see no way that you can be delivered. And God, like Jonah, came through and saved you. Go and reflect on the cross and write that psalm. And put it up because you will need it in this life. You will need to go and, and remember, yes, God, you already brought me out of this. Why am I worried about this thing I already dealt with before? Yes, God, I've already seen your glory. Why am I worried about this before? We should be like the psalmist in Jonah, who Jonah, immediately after being delivered, he starts to pin a psalm, at least in his head, about God and his deliverance. So, brothers, Jonah teaches us how to pray, how to pray a psalm of thanksgiving for God's deliverance in our lives. And next week, we'll pick up to 10 and really go towards where Jonah carries out his mission. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your word. You are mighty. You are good. Thank you for delivering us from the storm, God. Thank you for taking us out of the belly of the fish, God, and giving us life, making us new. Lord, that we may be like Jonah, going forward with a newness of mind to carry out your purposes, to give your message of truth, your gospel, God, to live your truth, Lord. Oh, God, that is what we want to do. We thank you for Jesus, Father, the greater Jonah, 
going into the storm for us, God, going into the wrath, God, for us, being in the grave three days and resurrecting to a new life, God, defeating death and showing us that we have life through him. Lord, you're mighty. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.